And before we jump into uh, Ecclesiastes, I want to take just a quick minute and and talk uh, a little bit more about our building campaign. I know we've we've mentioned it a few times, and and those of you that that get in, in here like at ten, church starts at ten. I don't know if you, I don't know if some of y'all knew that. I'm just messing. I'm just messing. I get it. I get it. Uh, but sometimes we announce stuff then, and, and people are like, I didn't know that. Um, so anyway, so we'll give you a little bit of space here. Uh, everybody's here. So just a quick heads up. We are doing a building campaign, and it is a unique season. It's a unique building campaign because we're not like, hey, give us, you know, we'll get this much money, then we'll build. It's, it's, this is a season of planning, as one of our uh, team members kind of pointed out the other day after going through seasons. And so I'm stealing her uh, thunder there, but uh, I asked her to talk about it too. Um, at another time, but this is a season of planning. So we are in a, in a, in a unique season here at The Journey. We, uh, we're coming up on 10 years old as a church. We were planted by The Journey uh, churches. And so The Journey in St. Louis has multi-site churches. And so we were started as a part of that. And then we were transitioned to autonomy in a good, like, sending manner. And But the, over the last four years, we have been um, leasing the building from them. So St. Louis, Journey St. Louis has still owned our building, and we had a plan that they were very generous to set up for us to, um, to, to allow us to launch without the burden of a huge uh, mortgage over there our heads. And so super generous of them. Over the last four years, they've been taking 80% of what we've been paying them for a lease payment, setting it aside. And as long as we say, hey, we're going to buy this building, that's ours for a down payment. So what that really translates to is they've been floating our mortgage for four years so that we can uh, have enough money for a down payment to purchase this property. So it's a really beautiful uh, sending and sign of generosity from them. We're grateful uh, for them um, doing that. And so we're coming up on the end of that. And so we're looking to, to come into this um, building purchase strong, not just, so if we do nothing else, we've already saved 20 uh, something percent of that. So we should be okay to get a loan, but we want to come in um, and, and um, with, with more than just that minimum to get a loan. And so that we are set up for the future because build, buying this property is just the first step. Um, this building kind of is uh, you know, it has a time limit on it. And so over the next five to 10 years, somewhere in there, we're going to need to build. And so we want to not have um, any more debt than we have to. So all that to say, we are doing a campaign. We're inviting you to help us plan. We're inviting you to help us uh, invest in our future. So if you've heard us talk about the building campaign, but you weren't sure of the details, that's a quick summary. Uh, but I also want to tell you a, a couple things. So on the way out today, you'll get a little postcard and that's going to give you some more information just so you can have it, your eyes on it, review it. Um, and then also, if you go to our website, um, uh, right at the top, you know, initial toolbar, one of the one of the buttons is building campaign. If you go there, you can you could see all the details, including purchase price and um, and some more, um, just kind of vision behind it and answer some of those questions. And if you still have questions that aren't answered from that, man, I would love to talk to you, our elders as well. We're going to continue to kind of talk about this over the next few weeks. Um, we are, I think we're at, we're at twenty eight thousand, so we're a little over a quarter of the way from our goal. We're we're hoping to bring in a hundred thousand. Um, and we're talking about maybe even moving that timeline up as interest rates go up. We, we think maybe, okay, not the end of the year, maybe a little sooner, save some money on interest. So we'll keep talking about that, keep you informed. But if you have questions, please let us know. That's a quick overview. And those are two places you can go to know more. So today you'll get a postcard on the way out. And then you can go to our website, Building Campaign. And that page has all the information that you can uh, look at there. And then if you still have questions, again, we want your input, we want your ideas, we want your, uh, we want your buy-in. So if you have questions or why or how, man, we'd love to hear from y'all. So thank you for those of you who have already participated or intend to. 
uh, encouraged already and so excited about this season for our church. It's, it's a good thing. This is a good campaign. This is not like, hey, give us money or we're going to close. No, we're in, a, we're in a strong place financially, and we want to plan to be uh, set up to be even stronger in the future. And so that, that's what we're at, and that's what we're asking you guys to prayerfully join us with. So thank you for already buying in. I'm excited to celebrate 10 years with you guys in October, and, and uh, just what the Lord has done through our church is really, that's one of those things you have to look back and go, man, that was the Lord's work. And so um, we're looking forward to seeing what he continues to do through that. So thank you so much for already engaging, and there's some places for you to go, and then, man, come at us if you got more questions, okay? All right, now let's look at Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> we're in chapter four now. We've already, like, Solomon's already asked and answered a lot of hard questions about life, hasn't he? If you've been here with us, he's, he's walked us through some, um, some really the questions that a lot of us are afraid to ask. A lot of times you're afraid to ask in church. Sometimes you don't want to know the answers to, but sometimes life forces these questions on you. And so Solomon's saying, hey, as Christians, we don't have to be scared of these hard questions. Um, in fact, we can lean in and let the Lord answer them so that, as we just sang about, not if, but when we're in struggles, when we're in the fire, when we're in the valley, we have a firm footing because we've thought these things through and we've allowed the Lord to speak to the deep places of our heart where there is darkness, where there's fear, where there's uncertainty. And so that's kind of uh, been his goal. He's asked some big questions about life, mainly what's the point? That's kind of been the theme over and over again. What's the point? And he has all the means and resources as king of Israel, all the wisdom, all the, the pleasure, all of it's at, like, he, he has to say no to nothing. Um, he has all the resources. And yet what he finds is, man, I, I'm not sure what the point is. I've tried it all and I'm still... I can't find anything here on earth that satisfies me. But the whole point of the book is to push us to that same conclusion so that we will look beyond the earth. So that we will look to the Lord and allow him to make sense of this life here on earth. So if you were with us uh, last week, we talked about the problem of evil and, and how, man, people, people are evil. There's some really harsh things that happen. There's some realities and news headlines that are hard to swallow. And then there's, then there's just the, the reality that not only are people evil, but life's not really fair, right? Why do some people get this diagnosis and others don't? Why do, why do seemingly good people get these diagnoses and die young whenever, you know, people who clearly have no regard for other humans seem to live forever? Why, what is going on? How do we make sense out of the paradox and the, the evilness and the unfairness of life? And so, he took us down that road, and now <clears throat> he's going to sort of go a, a little bit uh, deeper, right, and, and go, okay, now how are we supposed to live in that mess, right? Because he brings up all these, these hard questions, but then you're kind of left going, okay, thanks, Solomon, but I, like, I still got some time before I check out here, and like, you're making me more depressed than not. But, but as you keep following his logic, he's going to sort of answer some of those questions, by asking more questions and by looking even deeper. So how do you live in a world that's not fair? How do you live in a world that is evil while we're waiting on God to come and make all things right? And that's the promise. That's what we look ahead to. And that's what allows us to, to wait without despair, knowing that judgment will come and he will put all things to right. But in the meantime, in the meantime, 
There's still a lot of life to live, right? And so we can't just lay a, a platitude on you and go, okay, but the Lord will make it right. You're like, just take it to the Lord. And, and like, there, there's still a lot of questions. There's still a lot of hard stuff that we walk through. And so if we're honest, we still have questions. And, and, and in, the, you know, in the quietness of our life, we still struggle. And so one of the, the ways that Solomon says, here's how you survive, here's how you live, and here's how not, you, not only do you survive, but here, how's, how, here's how you can thrive Here's what he says, you need one another. You need community. You need to be known. You need to be not alone. You weren't designed to be alone. But the very nature of sin drives us apart as people. Sin not only separates us from God, and it absolutely does that. That's why we needed Jesus to come and reconcile us. But sin also separates us from one another. And so there's a, there's a very big aspect of salvation that not only are we reconciled to God, but we're reconciled to one another. And that is, is a gift of, of life, that God made us to be in community with one another from the start. You remember back in paradise, whenever God made man, and it was perfect at that time. There was, no, there was nothing lacking. There was nothing broken in that moment. But God still said, hey, it's not good that man's alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. I'm going to make a, a, a companion for him. See, God, we're made in the image of God. And if you have studied some systematic theology or just some, you know, basic understanding of who our God is, he exists in Trinitarian form. I mean, he's one God, but three persons, God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he himself exists in the context of community. And so as he makes us, he makes us to exist in the context of community. And so uh, here Solomon is going to go, okay, here's the only way, here's one of the only ways you can survive the, the, the craziness, the evilness of life. You need other people. So, verse four, he's gonna look at, and, and, and here's what he was observing, okay? He becomes a master philosopher. He becomes a master at just raising questions. And, and as he's tying together this theme of work, and then he's gonna dive into communion, but the theme of work's gonna kind of be a thread that runs throughout because it's such a major part of our life. Here's what he observes in verse four. He says, then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. What's he saying? He goes, I started to observe like what motivates people? Here's the question he's asking. What makes people do what they do? What makes people get up and go to work? What makes people uh, driven the way that they are? What makes people want to earn and to achieve and to learn and to grow and to earn degrees and to earn, you know, dollar signs and add zeros? Like, what, what's that about? And he goes as far as to say, I, what, here's what I've observed. Everybody that's, that's, that's struggling and toil, it, it is focused on our vocation. It is about work, but it's also just about the busyness of our life. It's what do we busy ourselves with? And he says, uh, like, so much of what we do as people is motivated by what? An envy of our neighbor. And what's he getting at here? He, he's saying, okay, there's a problem. The, the, part of the brokenness of our world, philosophically, the reason that not only are we separated from God, but we're also separated from each other, is that we see each other as somebody to compete with or somebody to compare against rather than somebody to, to draw alongside, rather than somebody to love as we love ourselves. And when that happens, we get caught up in what we would call a rat race or just, a, a, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses, if you will, right? But it's, it's really not just about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about being better than the Joneses, isn't it? So I want you to think about what motivates so much of your own life and the people that you know. Like, consider how much of your effort and motivation in life has come from envy of your neighbor. 
That's going to take some honest self-reflection from you because you've justified it in other ways, right? You have a narrative in your mind, and it's not that you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. But if you push a little deeper at what led you to build that narrative, a lot of times at the heart, it might go all the way back to some real insecurities even as a kid, right, where you first got made fun of for not having the type of clothes that other kids had. I remember, I remember very vividly, I changed schools between like kindergarten and first grade. I, I could still remember walking in my first grade classroom at Pope County Elementary and not knowing anybody and scanning the room and trying to figure out, okay, what, 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 makes, what makes people cool, what makes people not cool? And as I scanned the, the room and that, that you know, environment over the next day or two, one of the things that stood out, starter jackets. Y'all remember those? Those pullover starter jackets, mostly bulls, and then Miami Dolphins. I don't know why, but those were the two most popular ones, right? And, and so you, if you, you need to have one of those, right? And, and so I wanted one of those. Those were expensive. Uh, but I talked my mom into it, and, and that, you know, that was just one small thing. But okay, what makes the other people? Okay, they, they hang out with these people. They play this sport. They do this at recess. So I wanted to do those things. I wanted to guard myself from feeling less than. I wanted to guard myself from being judged or being left out. And so that began to form how I built my value system and how I spent my time, right? So that's, that's like way, way back. I've done some counseling. That's how I got there, okay? Like, it, it took some time. Maybe you guys haven't done that work. But, but the reality is, like, if you peel back the layers of your motivation, you'll find some similar things and some similar wounds and some similar insecurities that, that led you to be driven the way that you are. That you'll find some agreements in your past where something shaped you so significantly where you made a vow inside that I will never again fill in the blank. Right? Like, y'all know that's true. Like, you, you made an agreement. I will never again go to bed hungry. Some of you, you, you your family didn't have food. Right? I'll never again struggle that way. I'll never again not have, you know, the clothes to be accepted. I'll never again be looked at as less than at work. I'll never again be judged that way. I'll never give my boss a reason to say anything negative again. I'm going to work like I'm going to work myself to this place so that the people in my, my office or in my community will see me as such. I will never again allow people, right? Some of y'all like that, like you mow your yards compulsively because you'll never again, like have like neighbors holding that over your head, right? Some of y'all had that neighbor and they're like, they, they just have nothing else to do but mow their yards like three times a week. And then they look at you like, mower broke, you need some help? And you're like, no, man, I got a job and kids like, Go ahead if you want, you know, but like some of you, that's a real insecurity. So you're, you're like those sorts of agreements. Some of it's funny, but some of it's real dark. Some of it's real hard, isn't it? And Solomon is looking at life and going, man, so much. He goes, so he goes, says all toil and skill. Like there, some of you, the reason that you have gotten better at things, the reason you went back to school, got an MBA, got a master's degree, whatever, is because you never wanted to be seen as less than. Envy of our neighbor, he says, is behind it all. And here's why he brings it up, is he says it's vanity. It's vanity. 
If, you, if you've not been with us, the, the, whole, the theme of the book that he keeps coming back to is, is these pursuits are like a chasing after the wind. That's what vanity is. It, it's like you can you could see it. You know that the wind is there. Like it's, it's blowing the trees. It's blowing leaves across the parking lot. But you can't, you can't grasp it. You can't get a hold of it. And he's saying when you live your life this way, what you're actually doing is trying to find your value, find your identity in the world's eyes, right? You're trying to find ultimate security and identity in what other people think of you. And the reason it's vanity is because it's always a moving target, isn't it? It's always a moving target. Because if you were, grow if you were brought up in this socioeconomic circle, right, just having a new car would be a huge deal to you. It didn't matter what kind of car it is. A new Kia, man, that, that old boy's rolling. Like the neighbors are talking about the dude that bought a new Kia, right? But for the others of you, Kias were scoffed at. And so you, you've looked at, you know, an, another, maybe, maybe it's the, the Lexus or maybe it's the, the Mercedes, like the, the, the Tahoes, the Yukons, like what, whatever it is, like you see, that's the reason like it's dangerous to even start. I, I've heard people before like, well, you know, I don't really feel comfortable with that church because I saw a lot of, you know, nicer cars and this person drove that and this person drove that. And like, I think it was, we were, Chad and I were reflecting on that this week and he goes, well, the good question is like, well, what car is okay? What car is not? Because that's all subjective, isn't it? Because to some people, you know, this brand of car is off limits. When in reality, the reason is because they can never afford that brand of car. So they're judging you and they may not know the story of how you got there. In fact, I, I'm guilty of this. We went to a... Um, a Restore Network um, staff party. And, um, you know, those are, those are folks like, like my family, for the most part. We're all in a similar tax bracket. We got lots of kids. We're in ministry-type positions. We don't make, uh, you know, a ton of money. And somebody was driving like a Land Rover or something. And I was like, hey, I don't, you know, like, what happened? You know, like, what's going on there? And my wife was like, somebody gave that to her, you goober. Somebody gifted their family with that because they saw their fostering kids and they needed a nice vehicle. And so somebody out of generosity said, here's a, here's a good vehicle for you. And here I am like, judge, you see how this works? So it's all subjective. It's about, it's a matter where you are. Like you can, and so it's a moving target. So that's why it's a striving after the wind. You'll never get there, right? You'll either, you'll either arrive at the place that you've set your goal to and you'll be ruined because of pride or you realize you'll never get there and you're ruined because of despair. This is why Solomon says, don't do that. Don't, don't allow yourself to get caught up in that because it's gonna drive a wedge between you and the people that God put in your life to actually lead you to flourishing. So Solomon says, stop it. Don't, don't live that way. It's a striving after the wind. But he knows that some of us, we only live in extremes. Anybody, anybody guilty of that? Like you're either all in or you're nothing. And so some of us get caught up in that rat race and we'll go all in and we don't see anything else until we just like run out of road. But others will try that for a season and when they realize they can't get there, they'll just quit. Some of us operate in extremes. So Solomon goes, well, verse five, he says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So what's he saying here is it, like, he's saying, don't just stop working. Like that's not the solution. Right? Just because it's a rat race, just because it's an endless pursuit to get your identity there, it doesn't mean you quit your job and like forget it. 
right? And some of us are tempted to respond in similar manners. Like probably not, maybe not in the manner of quitting our jobs, although some of you have been there as well. So we get good at pretending, we get good at, you know, th- listen, this is what's behind so much of y'all's our credit card debt, right? Some of us are living way beyond our means because we don't know how to say no because we're, we're scared of, of looking less than, we're scared of not having it, right? And so sometimes like this can run us into the ground where we go, you know what, forget it. I can't do it anymore. I can't try. I can't get out of bed. I can't go to work. I can't. And so this is extreme. But some of us, when nobody's watching, like we're in the fetal position. We're struggling, right? We're, we're overcome with this, this depression and this, this fear. And I'm, I'm not talking about clinical depression here. I don't mean to, I, I don't want to bring guilt and shame on that. Like, um, but, but many of us, the, the crippling factor in our life is a comparison to other people. That the reason that you're crippled with anxiety, the reason that you're crippled into depression, the reason you can't get out of the fetal position is because you have looked to other people to define you and give you value, and you're crippled by the anxiety that comes with that. Solomon's saying, hey, that's vanity. You don't have to bear that weight anymore. The gospel allows us to step out from under that weight, for for that, 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 that burden to be taken off of us. This is the when Jesus says, hey, those of you who are weary and burdened, you're carrying a heavy weight. This is the kind of stuff he's talking about. He's looking us in our eyes and going like, hey, I see your struggle. I know the anxiety. I know the drivenness that's come in you. Because you don't have to bear that anymore. And this is when he says, come, come to me and I'll give you rest. Like, we just kind of, we're used to hearing that. But, like, what he's offering you is the gospel. So, like, so much power in the gospel that you no longer have to suffer under the weight of social anxiety and wondering if you'll be good enough. Like, that's the power and the offer of the gospel. And so Solomon's saying, don't, don't, don't let it cripple you into this place of foolishness where you just stop working and stop trying and eat your own flesh. Like, that's not the... That, that's not the solution. We don't, we don't need it. We need to stay out of those extremes, those ditches, right? Some people are in the ditch of like, that's all they know is work, 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 work. And they just, they, they, they can't see anything else. Other people just give up and they, they don't even try in life anymore. See, both of those are wrong, but here's, the, here's the, the practical contentment and logical solution that he invites us to. Verse six, he says, better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after the wind. What's he saying? He's saying, here's the deal. It, it's better to have one handful and have some peace, some contentment, some time off, right? Take a vacation every now and then. Actually talk to your family on the evenings and weekends. It's better to have that and maybe a little less material-wise than to have two hands full but be full of striving and a chasing after the wind. He's saying it's actually better. Not just like in this guilt of like, this is what you should be doing. Remember, the Lord's commands, like the, the word of God is to lead us to life, y'all. Like Satan wants to twist these words and, and whisper, see, you're not good enough yet. Until you get content, until you have more time off, until you spend more time with your family, you won't be good enough. Some of you, that's what you're going to struggle with out of a sermon like this. 
But in reality, what Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm trying to bring you to life. I'm trying to set you free from those, those unreasonable expectations, unattainable goals. Like, I'm trying to set you free from that. So he, he says very practically, it's better to have one handful and some quietness, some, some, some peace, some contentment, some margin. And here's why. One of the things you're going to notice about Ecclesiastes is he's really inviting us to enjoy life as it's happening. And man, that's just a lost art for us Americans. Like we really struggle to slow down enough to enjoy life, don't we? We want to capture it all so we can put it on Facebook. We want to capture it all so it'll be on our iPhone. Like, and we're just going from next thing to next thing to next thing to next thing to next thing because we don't want to miss out. He's saying there's so much beauty, so much joy to be had when you slow down and enjoy the meal. Enjoy your kids making a mess. Enjoy the smile that's on their face. So it's better to have a handful and some contentment than to have two hands full and be caught in just constant busyness. Okay, so what does he mean? I, I think, what, here's what he wants us to push us to. Think honestly in your own life. What keeps you from being in community? Like, what's the biggest obstacle to actually being known, spending time with church people, with God's people, right? What keeps you from that? What's the biggest obstacle? And I think if we're honest, for a lot of us, it's work. For a lot of us, we can't shut it down. We can't stop working, right? You can't get away from work long enough to build genuine relationships. You work, you know, six, seven days a week and, and, and evenings. You, you, you can't go out with friends. You can't go to community group. You can't go to this. You can't go to that because you're always working. Even if you're not at the office, you've got your screen on, you've got your phone on. Like This is what prevents us, maybe even as deeply, as this is what keeps you from being known in your own marriage and in your own home by your kids. What a tragedy it would be for your kids to grow up and say, I didn't really know dad. I didn't really know mom. But they were a hard worker. What a tragedy that would be. So he's saying, you need to lean in and think about like what keeps us from community? What keeps us from the life that God is, is inviting us to? And, and, and listen, I know that the narrative in your mind is strong, and I know that, that it came from your parents, and I know that it's really hard to separate the good and the bad because some of you are like, well, yeah, but I've got to work if they want to enjoy this. Like, I know I need to spend time with my family, but if my family enjoys this house, they enjoy these, you know, these the stuff that I bought them that I got to keep punching the clock. I got to keep going to work. Like, otherwise we're not going to have it. And I, and I get that. And that, that, that struggle is real. And sometimes you're in a season of life where you got to work 80 hours. Sometimes that's true. And God calls you to that for a season. But if that's perpetual in your life, if that's the normal, you've caught, you've been caught in a striving after the wind. You've been caught in a toil that will never pay off. So what he's saying, I hear this, he's actually saying it's better to stop it. It's better to even, listen to this, to downgrade your lifestyle, okay? It's better to downgrade your lifestyle so that you can work less and enjoy life more than it is to keep up the rat race, to keep up the toil, to keep striving after the wind. Better to have one handful and enjoy life, have some quietness, have some space, 
than two handfuls with just constant striving. He's actually saying it's better. That's the invitation from you. Okay, others of you, right, what keeps you from having genuine toil isn't your job as much. But again, this idea of toil is beyond just our vocation. It's, it's what we busy ourselves with, right? So others of you, 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 you can't, like you've filled your life with so many other things that keep you busy that you can't connect with people. You can never say yes to an invitation. You can never show up to community group because you're always doing something, right? You're always, you're committed to traveling. You're committed to travel ball with your kiddos, right? And, and some of you, like that's rooted in some real fear. Sometimes we can be, I know church leaders were guilty of like, just heaping guilt on y'all that do travel ball. But listen, the Bible wants to press against the, the things that the world shoves down your throat and says, this is what you have to do. The Bible wants to press against that and say, do you have to do it? Because it might crush you. It might kill your soul. And some of you can't say no to your kids because of your own insecurity. Some of you are terrified of your kids being left out so much so that you'll compromise your morals and your you're, like what you've intended to do with your life because you're afraid of them being left out. Some of you swore you would never be that family when you were younger and you watched other families, you know, travel and go all over and miss church and do all that. You swore you never would, but then your kids grow up and they start playing the sports and you, you start to struggle with it and justify it. And I'm not trying to be legalistic and say that travel ball is all wrong. I'm just saying if you're not thinking about the cost that it has on your family, then you're in danger of it destroying your family. So he's saying, some of you, it's the busyness that's beyond your work that keeps, if it keeps you from being known, then it's costing you. It's costing you. And he's saying it's worth the trade-off. Whatever it would cost you to get in a rhythm of life where you can actually be in community, he's saying it's worth it. It's worth it. Okay, so verse seven, he's gonna get to the heart of the issue when he stops to look around. Like, what does this lifestyle actually cost us when we live that way? So verse seven, he says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person, they, they have no other, right? They, they, don't, they don't have son, they don't have brother. He's talking about the person that is so caught up in the next thing and the next thing in pursuit of whatever's out there that they end up being alone. He says, they, they have nobody and yet there's still no end to all of their toil. And his eyes are never satisfied. How much is enough? Just a little bit more, right? It's always that. How much is enough? It's just a little bit more. We, we, we stay in that posture. He says his eyes are never satisfied. And it's so much so that he never stops to ask, for who am I doing this for? If you're so driven that you never stop to say, you know what? What's the point? What? Why am I denying myself pleasure? He goes, why am I depriving myself of pleasure if I got nobody to share this with? They're alone. They've driven all of their people away. They've ruined their relationships, all in the pursuit of some goal that was put on them, oftentimes by some wound and some insecurity. And it's driven them to a place of complete vanity and depression and unhappiness. So here's what this does. Whenever you allow yourself to be caught in this, it, if you're not moving toward people and making space to be known, you're very often looking at people as somebody to compete with, somebody to, to, to compare to. And what that does is it puts division between you and the people that God has placed in your life to, to love you and to give you life, as we're going to see in just a minute. 
See, we're made to be in community. This is why, like, so much of the, the Ten Commandments, I don't know if you realize that, God is really worried about how we treat each other. And that's not just because he gets frustrated when we disobey him. He's worried about how we treat each other because he knows that we need each other. Again, he's trying to lead us to life. That's why in the Ten Commandments, we have things like, hey, don't steal. Don't lie about each other. Don't covet. Envy, covet, those are, those are, those are in the same root thing. Like when we, when we see st- other people, oh, man, they got this promotion. They got this kind of house. They got a pool. Man, I want a pool. I won't be happy until I get a pool, right? They, they got this kind of car. They got this kind of life. They got, their kids wear these kind of clothes, right? Until we get there, we really won't be happy, and we allow ourselves to get caught up in this. And what happens is now we're not moving toward those people. We're looking at those people as, as a measuring stick of, of, of where we've got to be. You realize you can't be in a good community trusting relationship when you put somebody in a position of envy or comparison, right? Because you don't trust them. You're trying to beat them. You're trying to get your value out of being better than them. It destroys the fabric of how God set us up to be, and we end up alone. We end up, some of you aren't actually alone, but you're really alone. Meaning some of you have friends, you have relationships, you have people around you, but nobody actually knows you. You don't have anybody that you would trust with your deepest secrets. You don't have anybody that knows your junk enough to call you out. You don't have anybody that you know for sure, man, they would be there for you and with you no matter what comes down the path. He said, when you get to that place, you're going to look around one day and go, man, what was, it? What was the point? What was the point? Verse 9. Okay, so here's why. So he's going to shift from, from, from looking at, okay, here's the danger and here's the negative of what happens whenever we allow life to press us into isolation because we're pursuing comparison and envy. But here's why it matters so much. Because on the other side of this, like we've looked at the negative, on the, on the positive side of being known and stepping into community with one another, there is good and, 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 um, and right joy to be had in the church. This is part of what the church's mission is to be. We, we say, love God, connect people, and then we're on mission to transform the world because we believe every person is in need of a redemptive relationship, first and foremost, with Jesus Christ, to be saved from our sins by Jesus Christ. Without that, nothing else ultimately matters. But through that salvation of meeting Jesus Christ, now the next step that he has for us in the gift of salvation is to be known and loved by Jesus' people. The community is not this thing that you should do where God's just shaking his finger. Okay, I know you came to church, but did you go to community group? It's not this box that he's going to check and hold us up in judgment. It's this invitation that he's laying before us saying, won't you let my people love you and bring about the fullness of salvation in your life. So much of what God wants to do in and through your life is only going to happen through his people. Yes, your prayer life is, in, is important and your, your personal Bible reading is important, but it will be stifled and, and it will meet a ceiling if you're not doing those things with his people. If you don't have people that can look into your soul and call you out and, and to call you up and to stand behind you so he has gifts for us. He has goodness for us in being known. And here's, here's how he's going to sum it up. The last half of the chapter is really going to be uh, looking at that. Here's why. Very practically, he says, two are better than one. Verse 9. Just, just very practically, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Now, some of you are introverts. People wear you out. I get it. 
We're not talking about major crowds here, but we know that, man, it is much easier to do a job, to last in a job, if you've got a co-laborer, if you've got somebody with you. So he's practically saying, hey, you're going to get more done in life and at work, but you're also going to enjoy it more. You've got a better reward. It's not just about how much you earn, but you, you, when you've done a good work and you've done it alongside somebody, you reflect on that day and go, man, it was a good day. Right? And there's a better reward for you, not just monetarily, but spiritually and emotionally to, to have that fellowship of laboring alongside somebody. So practically, it's just better. It's better to do life with other people. It's better to have a common goal, a purpose, something to achieve together. Okay? More than that, verse 10, he says, it, it's, it's also good just to have people there so that when you fall down, you can be lifted up. Right? Two are better than one because if, they, if one falls, the other one can lift up his fellow. But he goes so far to say, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and he has not another to lift him up. Many of you know somebody, you know people in your life that have been so isolated and then all of a sudden, man, the walls came crashing down. And some of you have looked into the eyes of people who have made a mess of their marriage, made a mess of their life. They've gotten upside down in debt. They've gotten into an adulterous relationship and you realize it's been going on for months. And you've looked at them and said, why didn't you ask me for help? Why didn't you say something to me? Like we would have helped you. But, and, and some of, I've seen those people turn around and blame God. Say, why didn't God do something? Why didn't God help me when I was struggling, whenever I was flirting with that relationship, when I was, when I was overspending? Why didn't God intervene? And I've had to look at the, some of them and go, well, he did. It was us. Like, we were his intervention. We, your community was, was the intervention. It was God putting on flesh and standing here saying, are you okay? We have prayer requests at the inner community group, and you say everything's fine? That was God saying, I'm intervening. Speak up. These are your people. Confess to them. You'll be healed. Like, so when you don't live in community, you fall down, and you realize, man, I've got nobody to help me up. I got nobody. And he says, man, that's a shame. That's a, that's a real shame. Part of the, the, the beauty of living in community is that when we struggle, when we fall, we have people that are there to lift us up. Verse 11, he goes, so a lot of this is going to be thinking about um, ancient Israel and traveling, okay? So in that day, you're traveling roads. They don't have street lights. I don't know if you realize that. Electricity wasn't a thing. So you're just traveling, and the road's dark. You got ditches. You got ravines. You got sometimes just actual pits. You've heard Jesus talk about parables of, you know, you're falling in a pit, right? Sometimes those pits are to catch animals, and sometimes they were just dug for other purposes, and you can't see. And so he's saying there, there's a real danger. And so traveling long distances, you had some real dangers that were faced because you didn't always have hotels that you could stop alongside or rest areas where you could pull off safely and stay in your car. So there's some real dangers here. So he's going to go, hey, first of all, you fall in a pit. It's good to have somebody to throw a hand down. Otherwise, you can't get out. You die in a dirt pit. Like, it's a bad death. So be nice to have somebody come along. Like we do this with our kids, right? They go on school trips. I have a buddy. It's a buddy system. Biblical buddy system. Don't do life alone. You're going to fall down sometimes. You're going to need somebody to give you a hand. It's okay. You have to be so proud to act. Like stop being so proud to think you, you, you can't ask for help. Whoever told you that, they may be well-meaning. They may be your favorite person in the world. 
your mentor, your grandpa, your, your grandma. Like, but you need to get over that. It's not a place of pride to not need anybody. That's a place of danger. We do need each other. It's not a place, that's not, that's acknowledging a weakness that we can't escape. So to actually acknowledging that we need each other, as we're going to see, actually makes us stronger, not weaker. But we got to be willing to do that. So he's going to go on to say, hey, it also helps just to keep you warm. So they didn't like pack sleeping bags and packs and stuff. So all they had was their cloak, their outer cloak. And so they'd lay down and, and man, those desert nights, like in the Middle East, like it's, it's cold. It might be really hot during the day, but it's cold. And so what do they do? Well, they would, they would snuggle up, right? Spooning each other, like, like drawing straws, big spoon, little spoon. Like they got to figure it out. But like, who's going to, we're going to be close because we're going to share body heat. We're going to get under the same blanket. We're going to keep each other warm. By myself, I might, I might, I might die. I might Slip into hypothermia, but together we can keep each other warm. Now listen, this is proverbial. You're probably not just spooning with people in your community group to keep warm. Like that's, in fact, just don't. That's, like we're going to be concerned. At least other problems. But, the, but, the, but the, the big picture, what he's leading us to is going, hey, listen. What we looked at last week, the world's a cold, evil mess. There's going to be seasons of coldness. There's going to be seasons of darkness, and we need other people to keep our souls from freezing. Hebrews says, listen, don't stop meeting together because you need to watch each other's back and make sure that people's hearts don't get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when hard stuff comes and you don't let other people in, you can start believing your own narrative and you start getting into a real funk. But when you just live that with each other and you lay your soul bare, it allows other people to go, yeah, you're not wrong. I feel you and I'm here with you. Sometimes it's just the ministry of presence is what we need. Right? Job went through a really unspeakable season of tragedy where he lost everything except, of his, except his ignorant and mouthy wife. Like that's the only one that's left. And he's like, well, I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know why she's the one. She would have made the list if you'd asked me, Lord. But and there's friend after friend after friend that just comes along and starts telling him how to solve his problems. But you know the ones that really bring value are the ones that just come and sit with him. Just come and draw near. And sometimes that's what we need each other for, is to keep warm in the dark night of the soul when life happens. You just show up for each other. I've seen you all do that. I've been on the phone with tragic news with some of you, and you're like, I'm on my way to somebody who I know it's going to crush more. I'm going. I'm going there. Do they know yet? Because I'm going there. Like, we do this for each other. We wrap around. We make sure that, we're, that we, we, we hold each other up. This is, this is community. This is what God's inviting us to. It's not a project. It's not another, like, box to check. This is, this is a life that he's inviting you to. I get it. There's a lot of reasons to be scared. We'll talk about it. There's fear. I get it. Some of you have been hurt. But it doesn't, it doesn't, Negate the fact that this is what we were made for, and this is how God has designed us. So, man, we need one another to keep warm in the midst of a cold and evil world. Verse 12, though a man might prevail against one who's evil, right? Not only is the night cold, but you also got um, robbers and thieves that are going to try to prey on somebody that's alone, right? If, if you're looking to take advantage of somebody, if you're a predator looking to, um, you know, 
rob somebody or take advantage of them in some other way, you're going to look for the weakest person, right? If you watch, like back to last week, we're all beasts, right? You watch the National Geographic or, you know, the, the wild, like they're going to prey on the young weakling that's off by themselves, right? That's where the predator is going to prey. Why? Because they're easier to catch. They have no defenses, right? And so that's what a predator is going to do. Well, thieves in this day and age, like somebody's out alone, okay, two or three of them, they can, it's, that's an easy target, He's real practical. He's saying, but verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. So he's saying, when you got to fight, when you got to stand against the evil that's coming against you, it's better to have somebody fighting with you. And he goes on to say the famous passage of the threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's real practical. You, some of you have done the, the actual illustration before, right? You got a, got a piece of cord right? One cord, you can hold it tight, but man, it's pretty easy to snap. You put two in there, it's a little bit harder. You put three and that thing becomes really, really strong. That's what he's saying. It's better to have people alongside of you so that when the enemy attacks you, you're not so easily taken out. I was talking to a brother, a former pastor, a brother pastor this week. And a few years ago, we both went through just hard seasons and and man, it was really hard for him. And, and, he, was, and he was saying, like, I, I think when I get through this season, I'll get my church through this season, I'm probably done. Probably going to quit. And listen, I was in a crappy season too, and so I was just like, that makes sense, bro. I love you. Let me pray for you. But he was telling me this week that thankfully I wasn't the only one he was talking to. He was talking to another pastor that said, I get that, man, but you know what? Anybody can quit. Anybody can quit. The Lord wants you to persevere. The Lord has life for you in this. And I'm really glad that that pastor spoke up and it wasn't just me. Because <laughs> I'm glad that that guy's still in ministry now. And he's probably part of the reason I'm still in ministry now. You see how we need each other? You see how the Lord has placed us to do life together so that we're not taken out so easily by the enemy? This is what he's inviting us to. Okay, so verse 13. Verse 13, better was a poor and wise youth. So this is, again, Solomon wrote the Proverbs. You're going to hear some similar language here. But he says, better it was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So th this is sort of going to be the bow that, that, that ties up this whole sermon. It's an anecdotal um, example of what it looks like whenever you don't live in community. Whenever you've pursued, your, like, pursued other goals to the point that you, nobody knows you, this is how it turns out. He goes, it's better to be a poor and wise young person than a rich old king who no longer knows how to take advice from people. Here's why. For he went from, from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor, right? So, so this is a guy who started from amongst his people. He's one of the people. He'd been in prison. He rises from prison ranks all the way to the throne, right? So he's been there. He's been where his people are. And probably vowed in that moment that if he, ever, if he ever had power, he would help those who didn't, right? He probably had those sorts of things. But what did he do? He goes, I saw all the living move about under the sun. I, I saw all that was happening along with the youth who was to stand in the king's place. So I saw everybody moving around and doing life. I even saw the people who were next up to take the, th the king's throne, right? Right? What, what, is, what does their life look like? What he's, what, he's, what he's saying is, I begin to observe the impact of that king. The king who had risen from within the you know, prison, the lowest of ranks, to the, to the throne of the kingdom. I'm looking now, what good did he do? 
Did he use that power and that influence to better other people? The, the people that are going to come after him, are they better because of his presence? Or is he simply seeing people as a, as a, as a commodity to, to boost his own power, to boost his own influence, to boost his own ego? This is what he's asking. This is what he's saying. And, and he goes, listen, I saw it all. And even the people who were supposed to take his place, had he invested in them? Had he mentored them? Had he made sure that the next king knew how to be a better king than him? Verse 16, there was no end of all the people, man. It was a huge number of people that he led. His influence was hard to quantify. It was so significant. And yet, those who came later will not rejoice in him. Why? Because he was focused on himself. He was focused on getting something out of life and using people. He was the guy that was stepping on people just to get to the next level. He no longer saw people and valued them. He saw people and, and saw what he could get out of them. And he says, what a tragedy. This guy had more influence than anybody else. And what has he done with it? He squandered it. Okay, so here's what we learn. Part of the reason we, we have community is so people could speak into our life. Okay, now this takes some work to get there, doesn't it? Because nobody likes unsolicited advice, do they? You don't like the person that just drops an email. Hey, I noticed you suck at this. Have you considered? <laughs> right? So how do we get there? How do we avoid being the king that won't listen to anybody? We've got to invite people in. We've got to stay humble. We've got to give people permission, explicitly so. Hey, I give you permission to call me out. Instead of waiting for that email from somebody you don't know, you've entered into some relationships where, hey, people have already spoke that over you. And when you get the email, you go, yeah, I know, and I'm working on it. Pray for me. Right? Like we have to be a people who are able to hear advice. We need to establish a network of people, ideally your community group, right, who have permission to give advice. But it could go beyond your community group. You may need to find mentors in certain areas of your life, right? Uh, if you're you know, a young husband trying to figure life out or an old husband trying to figure life out, find somebody a little further down the road or somebody who does marriage a little bit better than you in this area. And they say, hey, can I take you to lunch? I have some questions for you. So sometimes it's mentors. Sometimes it's specialists. Sometimes you're really struggling with finances. And you're like, I don't know how to do this. You find somebody who seems to be doing better than you in finances. And you say, hey, could I, could, I, could I take you to, to lunch and ask you a few questions? You invite people in and you say, hey, here's what I've done. It's kind of a mess. Can you help me? It, Solomon says, man, there's great value in that. Because if you stay humble and you let people in, you're going to thrive. Whereas if you stay proud and, and you start to hide your insecurities, you, you hide your weaknesses, and you don't want anybody to, to question you, well, guess what? Now nobody can get close to you. And when nobody's close to you, nobody can bring value to you. And when nobody's close to you, you're not going to bring value to anybody else because you're threatened by them. When you're threatened by people, you can't be loved by people. And when you're threatened by people, you can't love those people. Right? Because they're people you've got to, be, got to keep your distance from. So, as you hear this from Solomon, he goes, man, this is all vanity. Surely, surely this is all a striving after the wind. Don't live life this way. So, I want you to think about this as we close. Are you thinking about how your life can bless others 
or just how other people can benefit you? Are you thinking about how your life, what God has gifted you, how God's brought you, are you thinking about how that can be used to bless others? Or are you just thinking about what others can benefit you? Some of you view community group this way. You think, well, I mean, I'll go when I need it. Or like, you look at it as something like, I know I need to go so I can get what God has for me out of it. But listen, here's the deal. You need to show up because God wants to use you in other people's lives too. When you choose not to show up, you're robbing not only yourself, but the people that are around you, the people that have committed to community with you. You understand what I'm saying? Like when you choose not to show up, you're robbing them of your influence in their life that God has put there to be a collective whole, to be collective wisdom, to be collective life. And now you don't have that trust. You don't have that ability to speak into each other's lives. You don't have that ability to, to draw near when life happens. So how are you looking at your life? Is it, is it, is it just something, man, I gotta get all I, I can out of it for me? Or am I looking at this as, hey, how has the Lord positioned me to use my resources, my time, my gifts to bless other people? Secondly, are you known by other people? Like you just need to ask that question. Are you that people that has people around you but nobody knows you? Do you have people who can call out the worst of your secrets and, and, and you know, man, that they'll stand with you and they'll love you through it? Man, if not, you need to hear this truth today. This is, the Bible is not, again, it's not laying another thing on you to do in your checklist. He's inviting you to be known, to be loved, to be surrounded by a community of people so that we can share a common purpose of advancing the kingdom so that we can be known, so that we can be loved. And, and, and when we're sick, when we're struggling, these people bring meals, mow our yards, step up for us. Like this is the invitation, right? Like the community is not just this thing that, that we should get to if we can, but community is something that should be sought after and fought for because it's at the core of our design as image bearers of God, right? God is, is a Trinitarian God. He made us in his image to be known by each other. And because of that, because it's so core to our being, you know who also knows that? Satan. He wants to bring division. He wants to whisper lies. He wants to keep you alone. He wants to keep you in being. He wants to keep you comparing. Why? Because then that puts you alone and you're easier to pick off. The Bible calls him a lion. You know that, right? 1 Peter 5 eight says he's prowling around like a, like a roaring lion. The, the, Satan is, the devil, our enemy. Prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Go watch a YouTube video about a lion looking for prey. What are they going to do? They're going to eye out who's the, who's, the, who's the weakling. They're going to come upon that herd, and they know, okay, eventually that weakest, that, that somebody's going to fall behind. We'll be able to get them. They're not just going to try to take out, you know, the whole antelope herd. They're going to scatter that deal. And whoever's left without community, who's ever left without known, that's who he picks off. So this is not like extracurricular, extra credit stuff. This is core to being a Christian. This is core to what God wants for us. So Satan makes it difficult, but also our own sin makes it difficult. The sins of other people, what they've done to us, make it difficult. Our insecurities often make it almost impossible 
to step toward, to be known. Like we position one another as people to compete with and compare to rather than to move toward. The gospel breaks down these walls. Jesus is the, is the answer to this. He is the one who has shed his blood so that not only could we receive forgiveness, so that we could also extend forgiveness, right? So that we could receive our identity from him and not other people. And that, that frees you up to live in a different way because now you don't need anything from people. Instead, you're able to offer yourself to them in community and fill the gaps for each other and compliment each other. But you're not asking them to give you value. You're asking them to walk with you through this messy and evil life. So it, it, it will come at a cost, though. There will be a cost to it. Some of you, the cost will be pride. You'll have to actually say, I need somebody. Others of you, it's going to be downshifting your lifestyle, that you actually need to do that. You might actually need to sell your house so that you can get a different job that allows you to have a reasonable schedule. You might actually need to do that. But community is that important. Being known is that important. Having people around you is a non-negotiable. So let the gospel be that real and that penetrating this morning. Receive Jesus and move toward his people. For some of you, this is a very simple step of, of getting in a community group. I know it's summer. Sometimes it's hard. Groups are on a different rhythm. But here's, we have a, really, a very clear opportunity for you today. Jason Cook, who is one of the best connectors I know in our, in our church, uh, I've asked him to hang out in the lobby after church. And they've got a brand new group that they're starting in Carterville. But also, he's just one of the guys, he's really good at connecting you. If it's not his group, he'll find you another group. So go talk to him if you're, if you're looking to get connected. There, he'll stand by the board where you get some options, and he'll help you with that, right? He's going to be in the lobby today. Um, plan on coming and hanging out with us after church on the 26th. Just come fellowship. That's right? a good place to just meet some people. Do that. Like, those are small steps towards being known. You don't have to step into community group first night and bear your soul. That's awkward. Nobody else will like it either. But get to know each other. Build some trust. Build some trust. And then we can go there with each other, right? Others of you, you've got a group. It's there. The logistics are there. But you don't let anybody in. Will you let Jesus into that space? Don't think about it as other people. Will you just start by confessing whatever that is to Jesus? Whatever keeps you from letting people really, really know. Give that to Jesus and then ask him what to do with it, okay? Let's, let's just go there, right? It's a mat, like for, for others of you, it's a matter of, of laying down one of the handfuls. That that's you, you got two handfuls and you go, I got no room for nothing else in my life. I'm just, I'm caught in this rat race. I'm caught in this perpetual scheduling. Jesus is asking you, hey, just, just let go of one of those hands. Come and bring that handful to the altar today. Let Jesus in and let his people in. Others of you, man, it's, it's self-defenses. There's wounds really deep. It's fear. It's pride. Come to the altar. Just start by bringing that to Jesus. Let's pray. God, help us. We need it. Help us to hear rightly what our response should be and to step toward you this morning as a response to this word. Spirit, come have your way with us. It's in Jesus' name.